What's up, everybody? I'm JJ John J. Stramski. And I'm Jason Goff. And if you haven't heard, The Ringer has gone local. I'm bringing the fire. I'm bringing the rain from the Big Apple with my show, New York, New York. And I'm repping Chi-Town with my new show, The Full Go on All Things Chicago. We've got episodes three nights a week with all the reaction to the local teams and guests. Plus bonus episodes around all the big games and storylines. So whether you're uptown, downtown, in the burbs, or a transplant. Make sure you follow New York, New York, and The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. It's the Ringer Gambling Show, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back, and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus, and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100Gambler and visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ringer Gambling Show. The Super Bowl is set. We are finally here and the shows are not stopping. We are going to be giving you four shows between now and the Super Bowl. This show is going to be a deep dive into the Bengals and the Rams, the matchups, any early bets, but primarily kind of what we're looking for and trying to expect on both sides of the ball Obviously, these opinions are going to continue to evolve over the course of the next 10 days as we get closer and closer to the kickoff. With so much time to break down this game, there's a lot of data that we can dig into that ordinarily we wouldn't be able to dig into on a normal week where we're handicapping 16 different games and we only have one week to do so. Uh, But it's always fun to have this extra time to kind of uncover some additional strategies. And one of the most difficult things for me, Ben, is trying to handicap what you think the coach is going to do. Because you can look at the game and you can look at the strategies and you can look at kind of things that you think they might do based upon what they've done in the past, but you're never quite sure what that coach is actually going to do. And that's one of the more frustrating things about trying to handicap the Super Bowl is you come up with kind of a narrative as to what you think is going to happen. You bet the side and total and props based upon it. But you never know if the coach is actually going to stick to that. So before we kick it over to your perspective on this thing, I do want to set the stage. The total is sitting at 48 and a half. It opened at some spots as high as 51. Most spots were down at 50 or 50 and a half when it first opened. That very quickly on Sunday night got bet down to 49, 49 and a half. And now we're sitting at 48 and a half. The side opened I think Westgate opened at three and a half, but most spots opened at four. 
And now that is sitting at four and a half. Uh, So with that being said, Ben, you've had a second to now digest what happened in these conference championship games. And I don't want to spend too much time looking in the rearview mirror unless it's for the perspective of advising us on how to approach this particular game. But was there any overarching thoughts that you took away from the conference championship round as the Bengals upset the Chiefs and as the Rams came back and beat the Niners that you think is informative to help educate us for this next round uh, for this Super Bowl? The Bengals are allowed to take field goals because Evan McPherson's amazing. <laughs> That's gonna be my main, my main. No, it's it's really funny to look and see. I mean, the Bengals' scores in these playoffs have come so much more heavily from McPherson than they have from the offense scoring touchdowns. He's been nails from fifty plus, uh, and so it's a joke, but it's also not a joke in the sense of like we usually talk about how much a team playing for three instead of seven matters to this total. We were talking in the pre-show about how I, I took the under at fifty when it opened, and a big part of that is the Bengals. And we already know the Rams are very happy to take field goals when they have fourth and shorts, fourth and mediums in their own ter- deep in opponent's territory. And Matt Gay is a Pro Bowl kicker. He had a he had a long miss against the Niners, but he was a Pro Bowl kicker. He's a really good kicker. Uh, and the Bengals are the same thing right now with McPherson in terms of their willingness to play for fourth downs in opponent's territory and then kick field goals. And so if literally, if there's anything that I look at with the Bengals right now that I think over the course of the playoffs, I didn't know about them that I now know it's it's to properly rate McPherson as like a really, really good scorer. Gay is the same thing on the other side. It's going to be a lot of field goals in the Super Bowl if you're super into that. But in general, no. Um, I, I, I The Bengals played the Chiefs about how I expected them to play the Chiefs. They were just a lot more successful in the second half than they were in the first half, way more successful than certainly I expected or anybody expected. And then the Rams did a really nice job on defense stopping the, the Niners running game. That one did hit me. I had rushing over props that I talked about on last week's show. Uh, and then the Rams walked out and said, I mean, they said, Jimmy, throw it literally anywhere on top of us. Like, there were open receivers for four quarters against the Rams, and the Niners just weren't able to hit them. Um, but the Rams uh, dedicated more resources to run defense than they had over the course of the season than most teams do against any other team, even like against the Ravens. The safeties are walked up. There's guys in every single gap. They're blitzing linebackers. They were just playing to stop the run and daring Jimmy to beat them. Thought Jimmy would play well enough to get that done weren't able to capitalize on the opportunities that they had and then obviously got in the fourth quarter and 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 really imploded. And so that game went about as I expected Niners Rams did. It just, you know, the the coin flips led to a Rams win instead of a, a Niners win. But like you were talking about in the pre-show, box score wise, Rams looked like they had a, a dominant offensive performance there. Yeah, that's the thing that stood out to me. I guess if if I was going to impart like one major takeaway from it, and that is that to me, the final scores of both of those games was not indicative of how the majority of the game played out. And then if you dig down into like you, you take away, oh, wow, the, the the Bengals had this great comeback and oh, wow, the Rams had this great comeback because both teams erased, you know, 10 point deficits there in the second half. If you look at the box score, if, if you think about, OK, the Rams barely were able to get by. The San Francisco 49ers, you know, they had to survive. They had to kick the field goal late and then hold off Jimmy G's comeback and get that interception. You, but you look at the box score and, and the game should not have been that close. The Rams had 25 first downs to only 16. Uh, the Rams had almost 400 yards. They were four yards short of 400 total yards. And the 49ers only had 282 yards. The Rams had six trips into the red zone. 
and the Niners had one trip into the red zone. Yeah. <laughs> it was not even close. The Rams only converted two of six into touchdowns, and the Niners scored their lone trip into the red zone. The The Rams had the ball for 36 minutes, the Niners for only 24 minutes. Um, it really was not nearly as close to the Rams needing this last second field goal to take a three-point lead and win the game. Now, I'm happy that happened because I was on the Niners plus the three and a half. But like, so so every time that you, I think a lot of people when they bet futures or they bet spreads, you know, they, they view the game from just like, I'm rooting on my bet. I'm hoping my bet wins. Oh my God, this bad thing happened. How does that affect my bet? As opposed to like taking a neutral perspective and looking back, this game, was a should have been a more decisive Rams victory. In the other game, I'm still somewhat shocked as to how the Chiefs ended up blowing this game. Um, they drive down there three straight times, score their touchdowns, have this end of the half blow up where they should have walked away with at least 24 points in the first half, if not 28. Not ready and to talk about it yet. Still we, we, emotionally not not there. And then we get no points, not a single point scored from them until literally the final play of regulation. So the entirety of the second half, they scored nothing until the final play of regulation. Now, I do want to talk about the defense adjustments that the Cincinnati Bengals made. But here's the most shocking thing of this, this whole thing to me, Ben. And here's where, what I want to ask you about. I, I wish I could have set this up with not doing it the way that I did, but I do want to mention the stat line for Joe Burrow in this comeback. When you look at this game and you look at the score and you look at what ended up happening with the, with the Bengals down, what was it, 21 to 3 and then 21 to 10 at halftime, and you should have had more points from the Chiefs. So it should have been 24 to 10, 20 to 10, what have you. The Bengals end up coming back, rallying in the second half and winning the game. Ordinarily, you would think, oh my God, and and Joe Burrow, right? Joe Burrow, that's everybody, all everybody talking about. Joe Burr, Joe Cool. <laughs> he's coming back in this second half. Are, are, did we look at his second half statistics? Because I'm about to share them, and they were very shocking to me. You would think in a comeback on the road against the Chiefs, you would have to be like dominant, lights out to be able to bring your team back from 11 points down and win the game. Joe Burrow in the second half, 11 of 18, minus 0.27 EPA per attempt, a 37% success rate, one touchdown, one interception, one sack, and a 79 passer rating. Those are the statistics that are able to bring you back on the road in Arrowhead to upset the Kansas City Chiefs. Like This was not a good performance by Joe Burrow in the second half of this game for them to come back. What this was, was a dominant performance by the defense. And I felt like the coaching staff, as well as Patrick Mahomes, threw up on themselves um, from an offensive perspective, left a lot of opportunities out there on the football field. And so I want to lean into, as we pivot towards discussing this upcoming game, what your thoughts are on the Cincinnati Bengals defense what you learned from them in that second half of the game against the Chiefs and what you think they might do in the Super Bowl in terms of their initial game plan at the onset of that game and how they might try to limit the offense of the Rams here. Yeah, so we're talking drop eight, right? I think this, this is the... Uh... Yep. 
this is the the buzzword of the week. So let's let's start by defining drop eight, and then let's talk about what the Bengals did. Uh, drop eight coverage. We we we've talked a lot about don't blitz Mahomes on this podcast. It's been like since like week three. I've been like, hey, just just rush for drop seven. Just you know, run all your base coverages. You run cover two, two deep, five underneath. You run quarters, four deep, three underneath. You run cover three, three deep, four underneath, right? Like you just run your basic zones, run your man coverage. You play with two deep guys, right? Play two two man, right? Two deep safeties, man coverage. Play, you know, cover one man and put a rat in the hole, right? So you have one deep safety and then one guy kind of playing the cross, playing the low hole. He's going to become important later. Uh, all these involve seven players in coverage, and then you're rushing with four. That's your basic arithmetic of football. Usually, when def- when defensive coordinators go to change that arithmetic, they add more players to the rush. We call this blitzing. And then take players away from the coverage. Rush five, drop six. Rush six, drop five, whatever. And then you play fire zones behind. You play man-free behind, whatever. You play a bunch of coverages that'll work for you with fewer bodies. Rush three, drop eight is something that you just didn't see in the NFL several years ago. There was no need for it. You- seven NFL caliber players were enough to cover the area necessary to make a pass rush get home or to like feel good about your ability to distribute routes, whatever. Drop eight, rush three, drop eight, was reserved for air raid teams at the college level, right? You're facing these five wide spread offenses and and they have, you know, they'll run shallow crosses at one yard of depth until the cows come home. That that like very close air line of scrimmage is often called the no cover zone. A lot of match coverages, you just don't put a body there. Air raid offense say we'll just throw it there for as long as we want. We'll just run after the catch, run after the catch, and that's going to be our running game, and it's going to work for us. So we're putting so many guys into the concept. The hashes are so wide. The areas are so spread out that defense has said, okay, we need the extra body and coverage. And this ball is coming out so quickly that rushing four isn't doing anything for us because nobody, it doesn't matter how many people we rush, nobody is getting to the quarterback fast enough to get there before the ball comes out of his hands, right? Think about like Gardner Minshew in Washington State. The ball was just out, 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 out. So... Why am I wasting four bodies in this pass rush that's never going to arrive? I'm going to rush with three. I'm going to drop eight. And I'm going to further suffocate this space. So that's drop eight. It is saying we are going to put eight guys in coverage and we are going to, it typically, this is important, typically, put their eyes on the quarterback, play zone, right? The most typical drop eight zone is like a Tampa two zone, right? You have two deep half safeties. You have a pole runner, right? Guy running right down the middle of the field between those two safeties. That's Brian Arlacher, the Tampa two dropper. And then usually in Tampa 2, you'd have like four underneath coverage guys. In drop eight Tampa 2, you have two deep safeties, pole runner, and then you have five underneath guys. You are just occupying so much room with all these zone droppers. So against the Chiefs, we've seen teams run a ton of cover, uh, of rush four, drop seven, right? Run a bunch of zone coverages, match coverage, whatever you want, too deep. Then they'll also run some drop eight. NFL coaches just don't like it, though, because they're not used to it. It's not something you have to do in the NFL. It's a college thing, and they don't need to do it, and they don't have the calls for it. Lou Anarumu said, I'm going to do this, and he's done it all year, right? He's been at one of the one of the biggest purveyors of drop eight coverage, and he ran it at a 45% clip in the second half against the Chiefs. They ran it 25% of the time in the first half, 45% of the time. Enormous number for drop eight coverage in the second half. That's next-gen stats charting. What's important, though, to identify specifically about the drop eight coverage that the Bengals were running against the Chiefs is that they weren't running that drop eight Tampa 2 stuff where you're still playing too deep. They were playing with a post safety. Uh, that's, a, that's a single high middle of the field safety. And that is not something you typically see in a drop eight coverage. Just because you you usually you can just 
put bodies back there. You don't have to play like, like one guy deep. What are you going to do? Put seven underneath? Like that doesn't make sense math-wise. But what they were doing is they're playing with that post safety, and I'm calling him a post safety. You've heard him call it a free safety, deep middle safety, center field, or whatever. But I'm calling him a post safety because he's there to take away the post. They put him there because the Chiefs will run a big post, big, big, big post, 30 yards deep, Tyreek Hill, Miko Harmon streaking down the field. So the Chiefs going to play with the post, or the Bengals going to play with the post safety. And then they're going to play with a low hole player. They're going to play with a cross player. Because you know what the Chiefs will run underneath the post? The cross, right? And they'll, 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 they'll run Michael Harmon or Byron Pringle on the deep post, and they'll run Travis Kelsey on the cross underneath. They'll bring Tra- Tyreek Hill on the deep over. There was a first half rep of drop eight where Tyreek Hill had a, it was the drive that they didn't score on. It was the last drive of the first half. Tyreek Hill ran a deep, a deep cross, and they had an explosive gain on it. And there was a low hole player there. But the, excuse me, there wasn't a low hole player. There was just a post safety. Post safety didn't get there in time. So they come out in the second half. We got a post safety, and now we got a low hole player. So two guys in the middle of the field between the hashes. One's taking the post, the other's taking the low hole. Now we can play our corners off, and they can play deep thirds, and we still have four guys underneath. So they're walking out with, with a custom rig. This is if the Chiefs want to run crossers on us. When we run drop eight, we are going to put an extra guy in the middle of the field. And he is just like, you watch the film. Vaughn Bell is just turning and staring at the three receiver side. He's not looking at the quarterback. The cross is coming from the three-receiver side every time for the Chiefs. So I'm just going to look straight at it, and I'm going to take that cross. And then they got a, a, a defensive tackle dropping right in right middle of the field off, off of the, the line. They got two linebackers, Chiefs running all these shallow crosses. They're just collisioning the daylights out of all these routes, right? Like there was a third and three sack from, from uh, Trey Hendrickson where Eli Apple is covering, I think it's, it's, I think it's Travis Kelsey, on a shallow cross. And he, Kelsey is open. Like, Eli Apple gets caught up in a bunch. gets caught up in traffic. Kelsey is open. But there's just so many dudes crossing underneath and robbing routes and cutting down on crossers that for that moment that Kelsey's open, Mahomes hesitates for a second, and then all of a sudden another Bengals shows up and it's just right there. And that's that value of drop eight coverage. There's just so much bodies. There's so, many, there's so much trash that if you're not right on it right away, if you're not automatic, it's too late. That window's closed. There's just, there's not enough room. So Mahomes started to hesitate. Mahomes started to get a little bit indecisive. Mahomes wanted a big play. He wasn't getting it. They had a couple drops. They had a couple near misses early in that second half. And all of a sudden, it's third and three. Just take the cross. Take it right now. Throw it right now. Pick up three yards. Move the sticks. And he has that blink of hesitation. And that's all it takes against this drop eight to close that space. Usually, Mahomes now gets to scramble and make an incredible play, right? Trey Hendrickson's eating Orlando Brown's lunch. And you got two sacks on third down in the fourth quarter in drop eight coverage. You are rushing three and you're getting a sack immediately against their left tackle with your with your pass rusher. That's usually reserved for like elite players. That's usually Nick Bosa nonsense. That was Trey Hendrickson. That, that those were game defining plays from Trey Hendrickson against Orlando Brown. So they won that matchup in the fourth quarter. They played drop eight, but they played it with a post safety. They played it with a low cross, a low hole player, played it with a cross player, taking away the Chiefs biggest co- a, biggest and best concepts and then they told Mahomes make us pay underneath be be a, a point guard in this offense be a cog in the wheel and Mahomes wouldn't do it he's holding the ball he's burping the baby he's scrambling in clean pockets he's breaking clean pockets and everybody's seen it by now you know on the Twitter timeline on that third and goal touchdown wins the game he had Travis Kelsey open open on the goal line didn't take him and that's why you run this coverage because you are forcing that quarterback to be patient and to be patient and then take the opportunities he gets and be just a cog in the wheel. And Mahomes does not like being a cog in the wheel. He started to make mistakes. He started to show that immaturity, started to show that, that, you know, uh, twitchiness that he had a little bit in last, last year's postseason. And 
made the mistakes. Bengals are able to make them pay. So it's, it's a very impressive bespoke game plan coming out for Lou Anarumo. I'm not sure the degree to which it maps onto what the Rams do because you have to build it for the Rams concepts, which are different than what the Chiefs are running. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Lou and Amarillo, like you mentioned, this was something that they had done some somewhat frequently. And in fact, they tended to do it on the course of the season on third downs primarily. And they did it very frequently to the tune of the fact that no other team in the NFL utilized it more than 15% of the time on third downs all season long. The NFL average was 6.5% of the time. The Bengals were at 20%. On third downs, 20% of third downs this season, the Bengals used only three-man rushes, and no other team did it more than 15%. And like I said, the NFL average was down at 6.5%. As you mentioned, they really cranked it up in the second half. They played a lot of man on third downs compared to what they did on early downs, and that really cost... Uh, the Bengals, that, sorry, that really cost the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. He ended up being terrible on third downs in that second half where they were playing a ton of man coverage um, on these third downs compared to what they were doing in the first half. But with regard to the rush three drop eight and with regard to, you know, I'm very curious as to, you know, maybe this wasn't their game plan going into the game because clearly, as you indicated, they weren't using this as much in the first half and they kind of made a adjustment at halftime. And I do want to talk about some of these adjustments because this defense has allowed the least amount of points of any team in the third quarters of games since I want to say it's week eight or week 11. I have to scroll down here in my notes to uh, it's since week 11. They've allowed literally in the regular season from week 11 all the way through till week 18, they allowed 10 total points to be scored on them in the third quarters of games. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later in, in the show. I want to focus on this drop three, uh, sorry, rush three, drop eight, specifically against the Rams. So we've talked before about a couple of things that Matthew Stafford is great at. Matthew Stafford is great if you play man against him. So I don't know like these adjustments on third down to play more man. That's not going to do anything probably to Matthew Stafford because he's mm-hmm. he's been so good against man coverage this year. He's also yeah, been and great. That's a key point. Be- uh, I don't mean to cut you off, but when you run this drop eight with the post player, with the cross player, you have to play man behind it. You cannot play zone with that. Yeah, and exactly. So he has been incredible against that. I don't think that's going to have success. But the one element of coverage that he's struggled against is when you don't blitz him. When you blitz him, he's the best quarterback in the NFL against five or more pass rushers this season. He's plus 0.57 EPA per attempt, which is number one in the NFL, 9.5 yards per attempt and 74% completions. But when he, and he's faced that on 158 dropbacks, okay? So the majority is four pass rushers, that's standard. 158 pass dropbacks, he has been blitzed with five plus pass rushers. He's the best quarterback in the NFL. However, When he's faced with three or fewer pass rushers, 
He's minus 0.13 EPA per attempt, which is 24th in the NFL. He's averaging 3.9 yards per attempt, down from 9.5, 53% completions down from 74. These aren't like minor, okay, he's not quite as good. This is like just, just sea change difference when he's faced with five men rushes versus three or fewer rushes. And he's he's it's a relatively small sample size. 43 dropbacks are in this sample. So 158 have come with five plus, 43 with three. Um, so my question to you is, we know that the Bengals like to use this at the highest rate of any team in the NFL his, on the season, specifically more so on third down, but they then shifted on early downs even to crank it up. In the first two playoff games, they used the rush three, drop eight, only one out of, I want to say, 68 early down pass attempts in the first two playoff games did they use the rush three, drop eight. But against the Chiefs overall in the course of the game, as you mentioned, they cranked it up in the second half. They used it on 29% of early down dropbacks for the game and on eight of 11 third down dropbacks for the game, which was 73% of the time on third down. So they cranked it up last week. Um, but they still, even on the season, were the highest use utilization of this. Do you anticipate this being utilized more in this game against the Rams um, because Stafford is so good when you utilize five-plus pass rushers or even four? Um, and if they do increase the usage of this, do you think it's a halftime adjustment or do you think they come out to start the game with it? And then how do they have to utilize it differently? As you mentioned, there's some nuance with mm -hmm. it because if you're playing man underneath with the post guy, then you're not going to have probably as much success against Stafford as you did against Mahomes last week. And there's some tape that they just utilized this last week that you would think that the Rams and Sean McVay might be better prepared for. Yeah, so the nice thing is that like all... This pass against the Chiefs, they're running this drop eight, but they've got wrinkles in it and they're playing drop eight with man, which is very irregular uh, because that's what they need to do against the Chiefs. The wealth of, of what we've seen in the season previous from them, because they're running drop eight in, a, in the regular season more than anybody else was, uh, is that they're running it with more traditional zone ideas, right? You're running three cloud, you're running like drop eight Tampa two, stuff like that. So they are able to do that. And I think it's better, especially with the personnel that you have to play zone in general, and it's certainly better against the Rams. Uh, this was last week. Hayden Winks of Underdog Fantasy had this. Uh, yards per route run by coverage for the Rams receivers. When you get zone, uh, Cup, 2.7 yards per route run. Van, 2.1 yards per route run. Odell, 1.2 yards per route run. It, you know, it's the Rams receivers. When you play man, Cup has 4.6 yards per route run. I don't think I've ever seen a receiver end the season against like all coverages with like a yards per route run over like three, like 2.75 cups at 4.6. When you play man, <laughs> you got, you got it. You got it. And, and you don't have a, uh, Jair Alexander. You don't have a Tredavious white. You don't have like a one star corner. And then you kind of built your zone around him. You have Chidobi Awuzie. You have Eli Apple, who's really confident that he's a very good corner given how he behaves on Twitter, but generally on film is not. Uh, if you if you are playing drop eight, if you're playing rush five, if you're playing whatever whatever distribution of the arithmetic that you like, if you are playing man coverage behind it, Matt Stafford will find Cooper Cup and demolish you. And if you blitz zone or man behind it, Matt Stafford will find Cooper Cup and demolish you against man coverage and against the blitz. Stafford to Cup this year has been lights out one of the best quarterback to wide receiver connections, one of the best wide receiver seasons we have seen in a long time. So player drop eight. 
but play zone behind it, which is what you were doing for most of the season. That way you're not blitzing Stafford, which is where he kills you. And you're playing that, that rush four drop seven, playing that rush three drop eight, which is where Stafford has struggled. That's the approach. The bad news is what the Rams have done all year to get better against these looks is continue to fold in Odell. And Odell has been playing better and better week after week. And that Niners game was a lot of rush four drop seven. And they were getting muddy pockets. They were getting their pressure. And they were taking away cup over the middle on early downs. And Odell's open. 15 yards, right? And so you, you, what your question is going into this week is not should we do rush three, drop eight, whatever. It's all right, we're going to do this. We're going to have to dedicate a lot of resources to cup when he's in the slot, trying to figure out how to get brackets on him and stop him running his option routes. But we do have to worry about that guy on the other side who's lined up outside because if there's a window for him, We've seen over the last couple of weeks, Stafford will take that window just as happily as he'll take the cup window. And that's what the Rams have that's really, really nice is that that two-receiver punch that's really been great for them down the stretch of the playoffs. So it sounds like you think that against this coverage that we might expect to be utilized more than most teams do and certainly emphasized here with two weeks to prepare when they dig into the numbers and see how terrible it is to blitz or to play man, we might see more of the drop eight, playing zone behind it, the number one solution for the Rams would be utilize more Odell. Is there a number two solution for the Rams, which is to run the ball more, to audible out some of this stuff? Can you have some better success running the ball? We know the Chiefs, obviously, with Andy Reid, did not really want to run the football nearly as much. You've got Patrick Mahomes. You want to call more pass plays. That's kind of what you do. Uh, The Rams, you don't have to like twist Sean McVay's arm too much to get him to call a run play, to get him to hand the ball off, even on first downs repeatedly uh, to this double-headed monster that he's got in the backfield of Cam Akers and Sony Michelle. So what do you think that Sean McVay is going to do if they start getting these looks? They're prepared for them. If they get them, how do you think that the Rams are going to adjust offensively? Anytime you ask me if a team's going to run more, I get like a tear in my eye. I miss you so happy. I'm like a proud papa. Yeah, baby. We've got to run them out of these looks. Now, uh, air raid, right? Let's go back to college. You're running rush three, drop eight. In college, you run a lot of three down fronts, right? You run a lot of three defensive linemen on the field, and then we're going to put eight linebacker and defensive back body types on the field, right? And that works for college. The NFL does not like living in three down fronts. They want to live in a four down front world. And a lot of that has to do with getting that pass rusher body on the field. When you live in a three down front, that's usually the tight front. That's a guy right up on the nose, right up on the center. And then it's two dudes just inside of the tackles. There are no pass rushers in that front. Nobody's got the outside. Nobody's got the C gap, right? Nobody's going to be able to rush on that outside shoulder, that tackle. So in the NFL, we run drop eight and the Bengals are true to this. They like to try to run it out of their four down fronts, especially on early downs, right? If you can get to a late down, you can put three down. Cool. But that's like third and eight nonsense. You know what I mean? At third and like five and in, you don't want to be in that three down front because they will audible to a run and they expect to be able to get it. So on early downs, if you're getting rush, uh, if you're getting rush three drop eight, the Bengals are going to be in a four down look. You probably still want to throw like your bubble screens against that. You probably still want to like throw your quick game against that. You can run it if you want. Because one of those defensive tackles obviously does have like a pass coverage responsibility, but he'll be reading run to pass. He will, for the first second of the play, play run, see that the line is acting like they're going to run and then drop into his pass coverage. Maybe you run a draw. Maybe you run some screens. You run your bubble screens that can kind of cheese you into the running game. But against that four down front, you're going to have to be honest when you get the Bengals into three down front, which is not typically what they do. But when you do get them in the three down front, 
that's the front that you want to be able to run against, right? The other thing is, if they're going to be in a, in a rush four drop seven for the Bengals, that's a two linebacker set. They want to keep Mike Hilton on the field. They want to play the nickel. If Higby's healthy, you can get into your two tight end sets and you have the same advantage. I know it's one of your favorite advantages in the league and where you get two tight ends on the field and they're in nickel personnel and you feel like you can run it on that, right? Because they're giving you two linebackers. You've got two tight ends. You have a blocking advantage just in terms of bodies. So there's two ways to go about this. Live and spread. They give you four down, run your bubble. They give you three down, try to run the football in a light box. If they're not giving you that, then you can put two tight ends on the field. Higby and Blanton. Blanton's a doggone good run blocker. Put those guys on the field. Put Akers in the backfield. You can get Stafford under center, start to run some of the the golf stuff, run some of the under center wide zones up a little bit and try to run them into heavier personnel with that. But if you if you get there, I think the Bengals will feel like they put you in a good spot. I feel like if the Bengals defensively can force your Stafford offense to put him under center, put two tight ends on the field and run it, the Bengals will feel like they're winning the game. They're winning the chess match on the defensive side, even if you're moving the ball decently well. So it's a bit damned if you do, damned if you don't, because while it feels like you should be able to run it, run a team out of drop eight, if they're still in a four down structure with two linebackers, Jermaine Pratt and Logan Wilson on the field, they still have the run fits that they like. You know what I mean? Vaughn Bell gets up in the box. Hilton's a good run defender. Like they still have the guys that they, that they want. It's not a great run defense for the Bengals, but it's it's solid. It's average and it's good and that that can be enough in one game to get a, to get a win. So just in a nutshell, when we're talking about this side of the ball before we pivot to mm-hmm. kind of bookend this, it sounds like there's an advantage for a defense that I still think is overrated. Uh, I I mean, it was so crazy to Weird. watch. You and I did the overrated underrated argument. He just they just beat the Chiefs. They just beat. And the, you're still there on overrated. They just beat the Chiefs, and I'm still sitting here thinking like. What did I witness? The, the first half went exactly as I thought it would, right? Right. Up and down the field, you. three straight touchdowns, back into, you know, first and goal from the two-yard line or whatever it was. And that was exactly as I expected. And then I obviously completely was baffled by how you don't get down into the red area. You can't do anything with the football in the second half of that game. Um, I still think that there is some elements of this defense being overrated, despite the two stud players that we talked about on last Wednesday's show that they have. All of that being said, you know, when you do something very different and unique, like they may be doing here, which the Rams don't see quite as frequently, this rush three, drop eight, if they emphasize that more in Lou Anamarillo's game plan, and then they are good against the run, they're decent enough against the run, so they're maybe encouraging a little bit more runs, but they're not getting completely gashed in the run game here. Uh, It sounds like maybe this is a decent matchup to help kind of limit what the Rams offense does. Is that your sense? Yeah, and I, I like the total. My gut, everything about watching football tells me to take the Rams here. But as anybody who follows the pod knows, anybody who follows my other pods knows, anybody who follows me on Twitter knows, I've been fading the Bengals this year to very little success, right? And so for for my gut to tell me Rams clearly the better team, and that's the case for a lot of film guys to look at this and just say Rams are simply the better team is, yeah, I, at this point I've learned that maybe my estimation of the Bengals is just off. My, my, my barometer is somewhere it shouldn't be. This matchup, makes sense the the narrative is easy to build all right we live in our in our four down stuff we get into our drop eight stuff we live in our zones uh we we make stafford be patient we make Stafford take the underneath stuff we make this rams team be uh methodical and and, and walk us down the field and we just got patrick mahomes who was really 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 good down the stretch of this season and taking the easy stuff and being methodical 
we frustrated him enough to make him make the mistakes to beat him. Why shouldn't we be able to do that with Stafford, who's playing in his first Super Bowl, has a ton of expectations on his shoulders, and just historically has been a more risk-prone, aggressive, I want to take it now quarterback than even Mahomes has been, especially over the course of the season. So if we just did that to Mahomes, we expect after two weeks, building out our game plans, matching into the route concepts that we expect. And listen, Anarumo had a good beat on Reed's concepts. Reed runs a lot of stuff. Uh, McVay? McVay runs the same nine passing concepts. And he gets, he gets out a bunch of different fronts and formations and distributions, whatever. But it's it McVay likes his serious football. And and the problem for last year's Super Bowl with McVay, or not last year's, but last Super Bowl he was in, was that the defensive coach had two weeks to figure out what he liked and how he liked to get to it. And that defensive coach figured it out. And the Rams scored three points. And obviously McVay knows that. And I'm very, very interested. My favorite narrative this week is how McVay's preparing relative to what happened last time he was here in the Super Bowl. Um, but Anna Room is going to have a lot of time to figure out how to take away those best concepts with eight coverage defenders. This could get very similar to the way the Chiefs game was, where, okay, the, the Rams get theirs to get their explosives because they have more talent, but things get very laborious once the Bengals dial in. Yeah, and I will say this. One of the things that frustrated me about that Rams Super Bowl against the Patriots was the lack of I, I felt like the game plan itself from the jump was poor because anybody knew that once you lost your number one wide receiver, Cooper Cup, was out, you needed to make adjustments to play a little bit more two tight ends. The numbers were clear on that down the stretch, but then it's specifically against the fronts that the Patriots were utilizing in that game um, and the lack of efficiency from the Rams offense that there needed to be an in-game adjustment. Like, okay, fine, you're going to still try to play your 11 personnel, Okay, fine. This is who we are. But once the once you could not protect Jared Goff and once you could not do anything offensively, there needed to be more adjustments to use a little bit more 12 personnel to get that extra blocker on the field. I don't care if the tight end's not perfect. When they did have the second tight end out there, you were getting a little bit more time for Jared Goff to throw the football. And Sean McVay never made that adjustment whatsoever. And so I'm just really interested to see the game plan he comes out with and then the adjustments he's capable of making because I think he kind of choked a little bit in that last Super Bowl from that respect. I want to switch over to the other side of the football. I want to talk about, oh, last question. Sorry, last question, I promise. And then let's talk about the other side of the football. Super quick answer from you on this. The rush three drop eight actually was surprisingly was able to generate some pressure against Patrick Mahomes, right? Like you pointed that out earlier on. Do you think this Rams O-line is better equipped to deal with that uh, type of pass rush that the uh, Bengals are going to bring when they only are rushing three and give Matthew Stafford, who's far less mobile than Patrick Mahomes, some more time? Or do you think that he'll be under more duress? Or do you think it'll be about average. Yeah, he'll have better success. Uh, the the tackles are what's strong for the Rams. The Bengals need to rush through Hendrickson. Hendrickson, uh, just big boyed Orlando Brown. Just it was a bad Orlando Brown game, especially in the second half. The whole Brown narrative in terms of like the trade and like he got Pro Bowl recognition, like I just don't get it. Uh, in key moments, he has not been a good pass protector. Uh, the Rams are much better suited to deal with that. And so when you're rushing three, it's very hard to get pressure through the interior because you usually have one guy on that interior. Uh, and that's where the Rams are, are weak. So unless DJ Reader has the pass rush game of his life and Reader's a, a run-stuffing guy, uh, I think when they rush three, Stafford will have a lot more time, a lot less likely to be pressured. Okay, so now let's switch to the other side of the ball. And we're going up against this Rams defense. And we've got Joe Burrow. And, you know, 
When you look back at the four quarterbacks that played games last week, it might shock some people to see that two of the quarterbacks had negative EPAs on the day and two of the quarterbacks had positive EPAs on the day and one won and one lost. And the guy who had the best EPA of any quarterback was Jimmy Garoppolo. And most of the quarterbacks threw two touchdowns. The EPA king. Most of the quarterbacks threw two touchdowns, one interception. Um, Patrick Mahomes had three touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, if you look at what Joe Burrow did from a EPA perspective, he had negative EPA on the day, a negative 0.03. Jimmy G was plus 0.40. Uh, both of the guys did not throw the ball deep down the field hardly at all. Uh, Joe Burrow's deep uh, attempt percentage was... I think 30.8% of his air yard plays that were 10 plus yards um, and 5% that went 20 plus. And Jimmy G was 20%, um, 23% rather, and 6.7% that went 20 plus down the field. Both average similar air yards per attempt. Um, I just want to get this one thing off my shoulder, and that is that Kyle Shanahan, I want to ask you, Ben, I want to ask you the question. I'll set it up. I'll give my comment and then I want a quick answer from you. Kyle Shanahan to me feels still like a top three to five play designer, game implementer, understands how to design offense, understands how to call offense, understands what an offense needs to be to have success in the NFL, is excellent at that job. But it's becoming unforgivable for me that as I'm evaluating your ability to be a head coach of a team, that you continue to realize that you suck in a certain situation, which is late game management with a lead, and you've done nothing to arm yourself with a tool to help get another voice in your headset or get some more support staff there to help figure out what to call late or when to call things or how to execute late in a game to protect some of these leads. And it's happened far too often. And it's clear that this is a distinct weakness of yours that like I've, I'm losing faith in the quote unquote, like ability to be a overall supremely good head coach, right? Like I still think he's one of the best that we have in the NFL from scheming offense, designing offense, calling plays. I love the style he utilizes. It's against the grain compared to what most teams do. He's been able to have so much success with Jimmy G. Most people hate Jimmy G. So if Kyle's had this much success with Jimmy G, that must be saying something great about Kyle if what people believe about Jimmy G is correct. Um, do you agree that Kyle is great at what he does from a play calling perspective, but it's becoming borderline obnoxious with his lack of being able to end these games with the right result and to like surround himself with the right people that could help get him to the point where they can, you know, take some of these late game leads and just put them in their back pocket and advance to the next round or win the Super Bowls. Yeah, it's really frustrating. Okay. Uh, and I, I here's the thing. Here's the thing. I got I understood the fourth and two punt. It, yeah, it was fourth and two. And then it became a fourth and seven punt. I understood it and I I knew it was coming. I felt it was coming because earlier in the game, uh, on a fourth and nine punt from the 42, which now Wisnowski, the Niners punter, down the Rams at the 11. That was earlier in the second half. In the first half, on a fourth and six from the 40, Wisnowski down them at the three. And so Shanahan's sitting there going, last two times I was in the edge of field goal range and didn't pick up a first down. I downed the Rams inside of the 15, right? I have a great punter that we drafted. He's awesome. Let's do it again. 
and it's a fair catch, right? Uh, it, it's uh, the punt lands at, let's see, the 15. Yeah, yeah. So it's fair caught at the 15. And on the very next play, Jakiski War, uh, Jakiski Tart has the game winning interception. <laughs> yeah. And like it was, it, it was all how it was supposed to work in Shanahan's head. I didn't get it. I went for the delay game. I didn't get that, but I punted. I, I, I downed them inside the 20. They have to go 85 yards. And yes, the Rams have already gone like 97 yards once in this game, but they had like multiple third down conversions. That's really hard to do. So I'm going to get them down. They got to go for 85 yards and I'm going to turn the keys over to my defense, which has been an incredible unit. And I don't have to worry about Jimmy making a dumb mistake in the red zone. And then Jakiski Tart dropped the pick. And that moment, man, the moment Tart dropped that pick, I felt it in my chest. I was like, oh, so the Rams are winning this game. You, know, you just knew that as a defense, it's so hard to come back from a drop like that and be like, all right, rally the troops. Like they had that play, then they immediately had an unnecessary roughness on a huge completion. It just felt, I know like momentum is real. It felt like there was that swing where like internally you're just like, uh-oh, like the, the nightman cometh. This is not good. And so I understand why he did it. He obviously should go for that fourth and two. What to me is equally, if not more frustrating, is that on the subsequent drive, uh, 17 to 17, right? Game is now tied up. Niners get the ball and you have a Kittle incompletion and Ayuk incompletion and a Travis Benjamin incompletion. You know who was not targeted? You know who was not given the ball immediately? Is Debo Samuel. And that's the sort of stuff where it feels like Shanahan talks himself into how the game has gone and talks himself into how he has, you know, set up the defense and the, the constraint plays and the, the counter punches and, and all the deception that he just plays himself out of doing what he does of doing what his offense does well. Like, yes, Shanahan's a very good designer, but Debo is better with the ball in his hands than Shanahan is with the call sheet in his hands on the headset, right? And that's what Shanahan has to realize is that players make plays, not coaches. Jimmy's and Joe's beat X's and O's, that sort of a stuff. And I'm uh, because he's such a good designer, I'm not sure he'll ever get there. I'm not sure he'll ever believe that just getting the ball to Debo is better than like setting up the play that he wants to get against the defensive look that he's getting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so... so- Excellent perspective there. Um, so I think we're in agreement. Top five offensive mind. Oh, easily oh, by a mile. Yeah, and, and 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 I would I would trade my head coach for Shanahan right now in a heartbeat if I were so 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 many teams. It's just you. The other edge of the sh- the sword you're getting with Shanahan is that he's not going to be good in those late game situations because he's going to out think himself and, there, and that's and there, just a, a dang shame. And there is a way that you can fix that. There is a way that you can try to help improve. And I just feel like they're not taking those measures to do so. So uh, I, ju- I just hope that they do and figure it out because he's too good of a coach to have too good of an offense to never actually bring the big one home to make these NFC championship games. It's just it just becomes somewhat frustrating to me. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios Kingdom and the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. 
When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. So let's talk about Joe Burrow and let's talk about this Rams defense and your anticipation of what we're going to get there. So Joe Burrow has dominated against man, just like Matthew Stafford has this season. Um, Burrow is significantly worse against zone. He's the number three quarterback EPA per attempt against man, number 14 against zone, 10.6 yards per attempt, drops down to 8.3 when he faces uh, zone coverage. He's obviously um, had a much lower percentage completions that are deeper down the field against zone, higher completion rate, lower ADOT, shorter attempts. Um, and the Rams play the second lowest percentage of man coverage in the NFL. So it might be unlikely everybody's talking about, well, it's going to be Jalen on Jamar Chase and we're going to get this matchup and Jalen's going to race him. You know, there may be some of that, but we're also going to see a lot of zone that the Rams are going to play and it might not be quite um, as much. So let me ask you this. What are your expectations in the passing game for Joe Burrow against this Rams defense. You know, the Rams defense, as I mentioned, gave up plus 0.40 EPA per attempt to Jimmy G just last week. This Rams defense has a massive edge, their defensive line versus the Bengals offensive line. And you probably can't start this discussion without mentioning the fact that there's a high likelihood that that O-line gets completely overwhelmed early in a dropback situation. Um, so, what do you expect to happen and what then do the Bengals need to do from an adjustment or from a, like a game planning perspective to help keep Joe Burrow upright and this passing offense, you know, executing efficiently enough? It's, it's actually funny. It's one of those situations where like sense it's so clear that this is such a significant problem that you expect like it to not be as big of a problem as it looks because the Bengals are going to spend all two weeks being like, what we, it's Aaron Donald, man. Like it's not. This isn't like oh, when they played the Raiders and it was like or like the Titans are a better example. And they were like, wow, Titans defense line is pretty good. We should worry about that. And then they gave up nine sacks. Like you're spending all two weeks being like, all right, Donald Floyd Bill Miller, this sucks. We got to do something about this. Seth Galina at PFF wrote a nice piece about this. I thought where he highlighted the fact that the the Rams like to live in these five down fronts, right? They like to live in bare front. So three interior players, then Floyd and Miller way on the outside is outside rushers. And when you play with that five down front, you're playing with one linebacker in the box on that. There's going to be space underneath, right? If you look at kind of target distribution and, and where people were getting to their spots, for example, like uh, last week against the Chiefs, Jamar Chase, a dot of 9.2. It's good. It's solid. But honestly, Chase, Chase usually is quite deeper than that. They love chasing the deep routes. They had T. Higgins with an 8 out of 14.1, right? And then you have your Tyler Boyd at 1.8, your C.J. Ozoma and Drew Sample when they were in the game at 7.5 and 5.5. That's really going to be how I think it looks in terms of where guys are getting to their spots. You're going to go quick game heavy. If Uzoma is healthy, that's an important part of that. He's going to be part of that, that, that concept. But also, Tyler Boyd out of the slot. Darius Williams, who's the, the Rams corner too, is a very exploitable player. So when you get him over Tyler Boyd or where you get him over like potentially Jamar Chase talk about that in a second you're going to go quick game and you're going to try to get the ball to them right now and because that way you're, you're protected from that pass rush not arriving in time and then you're going to try to hit that that open space that's available because there are five down linemen and get yards after the catch 
when you go to your take your deep shots, you take them with T, right? And that's because you expect Jalen Ramsey on Jamar Chase. And that's going to be the really interesting thing is if you get Ramsey on Chase, you then you're getting T Higgins on Darius Williams. You should live there. It, the ball should go there every single time. Williams is not big. He is not physical. He does not want to play through the catch point. That is exactly what T Higgins does well. So there's a way that Burrow's time to throw is like 1.9. And the offense is working. That potentially exists. I will say that if, if the Bengals get to that spot as a team, I think the Rams get out of their three, their five down stuff very quickly. They get into their four down front stuff. They get an extra body off the line of scrimmage and they start to close down those underneath windows, try to make Burrow hold the ball a little bit longer because you don't need to be in five down against the Bengals. First, you don't need it from a rush perspective. You're going to be, Donald's going to win. Greg Gaines going to freaking win. Everybody on your line is better than everybody on their line, period. Also, uh, your five down fronts are there to take away the running game. And if, again, similar situation, if you've got the Bengals running the football, as a defense, you feel like you've won the situation. So the Bengals aren't that good of a running team. So if they walk out in five down and they're playing with off coverage, I think the Bengals are going to be able to dice that up with such quick throws that you're not really going to see the impact of that pass rush. Then I think the Rams are going to be able to get out of that. And I think the Rams are going to go to more traditional looks, more traditional four down fronts, and still be able to rush the passer with a ton of success. Now, do you think that there's a world where we get the Bengals to run the ball enough here that it will try to encourage these five down fronts to stay on the field, and then you can exploit them with that quick game because the Rams allowed the seventh most EPA per pass attempt on quick game concepts this year. So, you know, this defense will give up exactly what you're suggesting that they do. Um, and you ideally, if you're the Bengals, you don't want them to add an extra defender in the secondary. You want them to try to keep those defenders along the line and you just get the ball out of your hands quickly. But there's kind of like a, a give and take, a, a delicate balance to trying to attract that fifth man to line up along the line. So how do you see Zach Taylor approaching the run game here? Uh, and just as some background, you know, the Bengals, it's easy to say that down the stretch, the Bengals went to a more pass-heavy approach on early downs and overall and say that the Bengals are 62% pass on early downs in the first three quarters from week 16 onward, which was the most pass heavy team in the NFL during that span. But there's a lot of nuance within those numbers. They're actually very close. Oftentimes in most games, like one, one first down play call in the first half from being a, a run first team to a pass first team. In other words, they're so close to 50, 50. It's like, seven runs versus six passes or or six runs versus five passes. So it's right around in that neighborhood. They ramp up to being extremely pass heavy. They have down the stretch on second downs in the first half, which is they did completely against the Chiefs last week, as well as in the third quarter, whether with or without a lead, uh, they're passing the ball at an extremely high rate in the third quarter. But in the first half on first downs, they have been a little bit more balance there. So how do you see Zach Taylor trying to approach this from a game planning perspective or a play calling perspective rather as he tries to incorporate this run game and what do you expect out of that run game? Right. So if this happens, then I'm vindicated in all of my Bengals takes. Okay. Even though they made it to the Super Deal. Bowl, I'm still vindicated. Deal. Because the problem with this Taylor offense has been that the McVay offense, the Shanahan offense tethers the running game to the passing game. And in Cincinnati, that hasn't been true. Uh, when they go to pass, they are in empty. They are in four wide. They're in shotgun. When they go to run, they are under center. They are multiple tight ends. They are wide zone, right? 
So can the the uh, Bengals run the ball well enough to force the Rams into their bare front? Yeah, because they can put, and when they go to run, they're going to put multiple tight ends on the field and they're going to go under center. They're going to try to run, run wide zone. That's the exact sort of look you want to be in a bare front against, right? And then, okay, if the Bengals want to then pass, the Bengals have to take that tight end off the field and put an extra wide receiver on the field. If Uzama can't go, which would be a big problem, then they're going to have to take tight end two and three off the field and then put like four receivers out there or whatever you want. When you're when the moment you put your guys in the huddle, if you're an 11 personnel with three receivers, I know you're not running it. And the moment you put two tight ends in the in the huddle, I know you're running it right. That, that's like a general look. But still, if you're throwing it out of 12, I'm not worried about that. It doesn't scare me. You're not good at it. And if you're running it out of 11, I'm not worried about that. It doesn't scare me. You're not good at it. Right. So because Taylor has never been able to finish this bridge, he's never been able to get this tether. And remember, out of the bye, they tried. They tried so hard to be a run first team. Out of 12 personnel, wide zone, play action pass. And it sucked. It was so bad. And they had to stop and they had to go back to being what they were in terms of a spread passing game. That that's the weak point in the chain. So if they're trying to run the Rams out of bare front, they have to put the personnel on the field and run the sort of plays that you want to be in bare front against. So you just watch and you see who they put in the huddle and then you match personnel the way that you want to. And in that way, they're never going to be able to take you and put you in a defense you don't want to be in against their looks because they lack that multiplicity on offense. So that that's always been to me the big weakness of this Taylor offense. And if the the Bengals try to to get that done, right, try to run to set up the pass and get you into looks that they want, I think they'll fail. And then I will feel vindicated. Okay, so now I'm going to start peppering you with some questions from a sports betting perspective as we've discussed X's and O's and analytics. And I mean, I think you guys know listening, first of all, we love you listening. Uh, this has become a very popular podcast. And um, you know that Ben and I could probably talk about this stuff for like three hours. And I'm guessing you would probably listen to the, that show too, but we're not going to do that. And we are going to be meeting in person next Wednesday out in Los Angeles. Yeah. And we're going to be doing a podcast together in person, which is going to be a ton of fun. But we've talked now, Ben, for probably 52 minutes about the X's and O's, the matchups, and we know that you bet the under here. I want to specifically talk about the Bengals offense. Um, their team total right now sits at like 21 and a half to 22 and a half. A couple books maybe have 23, but most of them are a little bit lower than that. The way that you're describing the lack of their ability to do what it takes offensively from a, uh, a personnel perspective to really put the Rams at a massive disadvantage here. Um, I'm wondering, do you think that the Bengals offense is going to have success here? I mean, that this is what their expectation is, 21 and a half to 22 and a half points. Do you think that that's a reasonable expectation for them to score? Um, do you think that they're going to struggle to get there? How do you kind of feel like this offense overall at the end of the day is going to do from a results perspective on the scoreboard? Yeah, so I like the under, and I also, I haven't taken a side, because like I said, I've struggled with the Bengals this year, but if I were on a side, I'd like the Rams. So it puts me under that team total. I opened with the joke that they're going to, you know, McPherson's their MVP. I think they're going to kick the ball a lot when they get into scoring range. I think they're going to be turnover heavy uh, because you have the, the potential for sacks and you have the potentials for hit on throws. This is generally a ball hawking Rams defense as well. Jalen Ramsey, of course, uh, the ability to take away chase has always made this team be a very low scoring team. So to me, they're a high teens, low 20s. So if you're getting under 22 and a half, yeah, it, it feels like a, a pretty good luck. I generally like the overall under because I'm I would be stunned if this becomes a shootout. Uh, I could see 
Lou Anarumo really turning in the performance of his life, uh, you know, back to back kind of incredible performances and keeping this thing really low scoring. And then, you know, maybe the Bengals get enough possessions because the Rams are struggling on offense that they're able to get over that 21 point mark. So I like the the overall total more. But yeah, Bengals under team total is is an implied bet that I, I like given where I currently see the game going. OK, and then we are going to focus a lot more on player props in next week's show and more player props are going to come out and be lined uh, a lot more uh, frequently and lots of different lines at lots of different books. And um, I think one thing that you guys at home should know is, you know, professional bettors and the guys that I work with, we consistently are trying to take and get as much down on these player props and bet a lot into these markets because there's just so much opportunity uh, for a Super Bowl with the number of lines that they've got out there. But Ben, before we get to next Wednesday, you know, obviously a couple of props have come out thus far. Has there been anything from a prop perspective that you've already taken? Um, We know that your general thought on the game is you lean towards the under. If forced, you might lean towards the Rams. Uh, you kind of lean towards the Bengals team total under, but from a props perspective, anything that you've already taken thus far, and then we can cover the rest next Wednesday. Yeah, so right now, Cam Akers props are all over the place. Obviously, Akers had a, a bit of a shoulder injury, went to the locker room, you know, probably got got shot up and then came back in. Uh, and so you, you'll see his lines anywhere from the high 50s to the low 60s. Uh, you can get under 64.5 still at a couple books, and I like that. Uh, he just hasn't been a very good runner since he's been back. He's now been banged up, and I think that you're going to see a, a more pass-heavy approach from the Rams, and I think you're going to continue to see a bit of a split with Sonny and with Akers. So unless you're ripping off an explosive, which the Bengals don't really give up uh, the explosive runs unless you're really running out of heavy personnel, something we've talked out of the show before, uh, I like the under for Cam Akers at under 64.5. And honestly, hat in hand with that is Sonny Michelle, who's rushing yards you can find at some places right now, not a lot of places, some places in the low 20s. Over 20.5 makes sense to me, just because, again, if you're expecting any degree of a timeshare i'm getting five six carries out of a guy and you're giving me a line that's at 20 i feel pretty solid taking that especially with the ability of michelle to rip off just one explosive run and get halfway there so acres under 64 and a half sony over 20 and a half is where i've been right now with the tight end injuries to both higby and uzoma i haven't really touched receiving props yet i'd like to know a little bit more about who's healthy and who's projected to play before i start to predict target distribution Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Okay, well, that'll do it for this episode. Uh, Before we go, I want to let you know that we are going to be adding a new show to this feed starting tomorrow. We will have a Winter Olympic gambling show hosted by Roger Sherman. So you guys need to keep your eyes open for that. It'll be right here on the Ringer Gambling feed. I think you guys are going to enjoy that as well. Thank you to everyone for listening. We'll be back Friday with Joe House to see what he likes on the big game. And then we're going to hit Ben Solak out in Los Angeles next Wednesday together for an epic show. I think you're going to have a lot of fun listening to that one. So thanks to Ben for joining me. Thanks to Mike Wargron and Craig Holbrook for producing the show. We will see you guys on Friday. Friday.